Thank you, Trey and worship team, for leading us. Uh, what great reminders today in the words, the lyrics of those songs of uh, what we have in Christ, who we are in Him, and uh, just been great to be able to have those reminders today. I appreciate so much the, uh, the words also that Stephanie said at the beginning and the reminder that she gave us. And uh, we know that we are living in a world right now where there is confusion and there's chaos. There's also, in, uh, in some cases, fear. Uh, there's loneliness. You know, we have, have had quite a year in 2020. And if there's something that for us as a church to consider today to be both light and love to a world that is hurting. And so those words, light and love, are going to be coming through as we think through the message today. I invite your attention to uh, John, Gospel of John, chapter 13. And uh, we're going to be looking uh, specifically at the theme of service today, of serving one another, of serving God. And I think it's uh, a theme that, that, that I believe can resonate for us today in the day in which we're living, just a reminder for us to serve this, this world, to serve one another, to bring His light and His love to a world in need. I know we've got the, uh, the kids with us today with the Family Worship Sunday. How many kids typically would be in kids' church today? Let me just see. How many... Have we got there? Okay, I see a few. All right, all right. We're glad you're here. We're glad that you're with us. And, and I've got a picture that I want to show at the beginning that I want to ask your help for. I want to see if you can tell me where this picture is being taken. You see it up there? Where, where is that? What is it? Wendy's, right. Yeah, do you see? Do you like to eat at Wendy's? I mean, if, if I were in Wendy's, I might be holding that tray right there. I mean, a frosty a chili, a hamburger, a Coke. I mean, that it's just making me hungry. I'm, I might have to preach a shorter sermon today, right? <laughs> then we can all go to lunch. There you go. <laughs> well, this is, of course, Wendy's. The boys and girls got it exactly right. They may not know the man behind the counter, though. Uh, that's the late Dave Thomas. He was the founder of Wendy's, and uh, he was uh, he was a great guy, great man, but he had a, a saying that he would give to his employees. In fact, you would see it on the, on the wall at times there in, in uh, some of the restaurants, and that is that success is service. Success is service, and, and you may wonder, well, why would he have to put that statement on the wall of the restaurant? Why would he want to remind the employees that, that success was found in service? And I think the answer is because that's, that's a bit counterintuitive to the way in which we think today. Oftentimes, we think that success is when others are serving us, right? And so he's, he, he flipped it around. And what we're going to see today in John 13 is that Jesus is going to do the same thing. He's going to meet with his disciples in a very special place at a special time. And he's got a message that he wants to communicate. And part of that message is that success in a kingdom perspective, in the, in the way of, of thriving in our, in our walk with God, includes serving others. And so in John 13, we're going to be reading about the way in which John, uh, Jesus communicates this. Before we get there, let me tell you that where we've been at the last few weeks, we've been looking at words of vision for our church family. Uh, for years, we have rallied around three anchor words or three words that really anchor our church vision. And those words are worship, grow, and serve. 
If you look at our announcement videos, if you look at our website, if, uh, if you remember back when we used to give out orders of service, remember back uh, pre-pandemic how we used to hand those out? You'd see those words, right? Worship, grow, and serve. A continual reminder that when we come together as a church, that's part of what, what we come to do. We come to worship because we're worshipers. We looked at that a couple of weeks ago. We come to grow because we are growing disciples, and we want a a walk with Christ that is vibrant and thriving. We want to learn more about Him and learn more about serving Him. But today we come to the word serve because we are servants, and we see that that even uh, in ways in which the world views servant or serving others, uh, that when we look to Scripture and we, we look to the example of Jesus, He has given us a model to follow that I believe right now, particularly the day in which we're living, the world needs to see, needs to see the people of God humble, who are caring, who are seeing needs, who are demonstrating both light and love to a world in need. And so let's look together at John 13. This is a passage of scripture that is sometimes called the upper room discourse. And that's because Jesus was with the disciples, and you can guess the location, right? They were in the upper room. They were gathered together. And it is a significant time because this is when they would have a meal together that is commonly called the Last Supper. And they are in this place together right before Jesus would be arrested and before he would go to the cross. And so just think, this is the Thursday excuse me, the Thursday before Good Friday. This is the last teaching that Jesus would give the disciples. And as part of that teaching, he begins this discourse talking about serving. So when we see that it was important enough for Jesus to take these words to his disciples, for them to be recorded and kept for us as his disciples today, we can see that there is a message for us something for us to hold on to. And so whether it's the the boys and girls that would be in kids' church all the way up to parents and grandparents, there is something here for us as we look to the example of Jesus as servant. John 13, verse 1. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. This is a powerful verse. And I really wanted to just stop right here. And we've got several more verses to read. But there may be someone in this room today. There's someone who's watching online this morning. And that's the reminder that you needed today. God's love has not changed. Jesus will love you to the end. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He cares for you. And sometimes we may question that care. We may question that love. But right here in Scripture, we see that God has made this commitment to each of us. I was sitting with a member of our church on Friday afternoon. I was visiting her because she was placed on hospice care. She is in the final days of her life. She's, she's, she's struggling. She's hurting. She's in pain. She knows that God has something next for her. This life, this world is not all there is. 
She has a hope beyond this world. We were reading scripture. We were praying. And you know, as I was reading verse 1, it reminded me of her. Yeah, in this situation, it says Jesus loved them to the end because it was at the end of his earthly life. But we can read these words and know that he's going to love us to the end, the end of our earthly lives. And so be encouraged today. Be encouraged that God has a great love for you. And that will be something that comes through even as we read this passage together. The first point in the sermon is this. A servant's motivation is love. And that's what we see. Jesus is motivated by love. Now, when we use that word love, oftentimes we think of it as an emotion or a feeling. And that's, that's not what it is here. Love is a commitment. It is a sacrificial commitment. Yes, sometimes it, it, it includes feelings, but that's not the sum total of love because we are called to have this sacrificial commitment even at a time when maybe we don't feel like it. Love conquers. Love never fails. Love perseveres. And so as we read through the Gospel of John, the words light and love are used throughout the book. And I thought it was interesting. One of the commentators I was reading said that at the first half of John's gospel, the word light is used over 30 times. But in the last part, the word light is not used at all. In John's gospel, the word love is used about a dozen times in the first half of the book. But it's used over 30 times in the last half. And so you see this transition. Jesus came he came into the world, he brought light, but then after that, the emphasis shifted to love all the way to the Thursday night before he was arrested. Look at verse 2. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. And we know that that was something that was happening, that was about to happen. Jesus knew it was coming. And I, I think that this is an interesting verse to put here because here is Jesus who loves his disciples, all of them, and yet one of them is about to betray him. Jesus knows it, he's about to predict it, and yet he still fulfills the call of God upon this situation. Jesus gives them the greatest teaching on love, the greatest teaching on service, not just with words but with action. This is the passage where Jesus is going to wash the feet of the disciples. A familiar passage to, to most of us, I think. Jesus is going to wash the feet of these disciples. He's going to take on the role of a servant. He's going to pick up that basin of water and take that towel, and he's going to wash the dirty feet of these fishermen. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But he's doing so as a demonstration of his love. That's what he's motivated by. One of those who would have their feet washed is John. And you know, John would write these words in his book, First John, uh, uh, later in his life. And you almost wonder if maybe he was thinking back to this occasion. He writes in First John 3.18, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And I think that's such a, a powerful verse because, you know, words are cheap, aren't they? Talk is cheap. We can say almost anything, right? But we demonstrate through our actions what it really is that we believe or how we really feel about, about someone. And Jesus is going to do that as he demonstrates his love to these disciples. Let's jump down a little later into the chapter and look at verses 34 and 35. Then we'll go back uh, to verse 3. 
But I want us to see there's, there's a command that's given, and it's, it's given to us here in verse 34. I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, this is a command or a mandate that Jesus gives his disciples. And maybe you've attended a, a service around Easter called Maundy Thursday. You ever been to one of those? Maundy is a, the Latin word that, that gives us the word mandate. It's a command. And it's based upon these verses right here. There's a mandate that Jesus gives. Now, as we read verses 34 and 35, you might say, well, wait a minute, Ryan. I, I wonder why he says that's a new command, because this idea of love one another, we could trace it all the way back into the Old Testament. In fact, all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. So if it was a command in Deuteronomy, how then is Jesus saying, here is a, a new command? And here's the answer, because of the way he fulfilled it. Love one another as I have loved you. That's the new part, his example, what he modeled for us. And so let's go back to verse 3, and let's look together at the model, the example that Jesus has given to us. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. Verse 4, so he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. This brings us to the second point. The second point is a servant's example is Christ. We see that the servant's motivation is love, and the servant's example, the example for you and me, is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we read these verses, and we, we think about him being in that upper room. Did he know what was happening? Did he know what was coming? He absolutely did. We, we read that he knew his hour was coming, and yet he was still focused on finishing his mission, finishing his earthly life well. And he did something. He did something that has been a motivation for us, even as we look back and read about uh, this Last Supper. Now, oftentimes when we think about the Last Supper, we may have uh, an image come to mind. Maybe even the famous Da Vinci painting of the Last Supper. Have you ever seen this before? We, we see there's even uh, you know, uh, this, this tall table and they're all seated together. It kind of almost has like a medieval feel to it. But that's not, that's not really how it worked back then. The, the, uh, the, the, the custom and culture would have been uh, more of a lower table, uh, a three-sided table in all likelihood, a triclinium. And this picture here uh, has uh, something that would be a little more suited to the day in which Jesus was teaching. And you probably wonder why I'm going to such great lengths to try to make this point. Um, they were eating next to each other's feet, okay? So it was very customary uh, for them to wash their feet before they ate a meal. Uh, it, was just, it was just proper protocol. It was, it was courtesy, right? Uh, I know we've got our boys and girls in here. Can you imagine if, uh, if, your, if your moms and dads said, hey, it's time for dinner. I need you to wash up. Make sure you get your feet washed, right? You come to table. Now, wait a minute. Did you get those feet washed? Let me see those feet. You didn't wash your feet, right? It'd be that kind of a conversation. 
Because we're all sitting down really low and we've got our feet next to each other. And, and by the way, the disciples didn't show up in their air-conditioned vehicles to the upper room either, did they? And these guys were walking these muddy, dirty, dusty uh, paths. They were probably wearing sandals. They were dirty. And so it was a common practice to wash your feet. In fact, just as we would, would, would say that if we were going into someone's home and we noticed that our shoes were, were, were dusty or dirty, we would, we would certainly use the mat to wipe them, but on all likelihood, we would just take our shoes off as a courtesy, right? Well, th- this, is, this is the culture that they're living in. And so you see the little picture there of the towel and the water basin. It would have been expected that a servant would have been there to do the work of washing the feet before a meal would commence. Now, this is a borrowed room, so there wasn't a servant on duty. And so there was this situation that they were in where someone needed to wash the feet. They all knew what the custom was, but it was Jesus. It was Jesus who took the opportunity to see the need, humble himself, and wash the feet. Now, in that culture, it would have been a servant, and the kids probably aren't going to like what I'm going to say next. But if it wasn't the servant who was there to wash the feet, do you know who washed the feet of the guests? Yeah, the kids did. The youngest child, in fact, might be asked to do that. So, yeah. Aren't you glad we don't have to do that anymore, right? And Brock's like, yeah, I don't want to wash anybody's feet. But that was the culture. And so Jesus was assuming the role of a servant. He was assuming the role of the one that, that in the room would have, would have, would have had that, that difficult job. It really reminds me of what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2. He said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Let's connect Philippians 2 to John 13 for just a minute. Do we see that that's exactly what Jesus was doing? He was living in the moment. He was seeing the situation. He was considering the needs of others. And what did he do? He did it. He did it. And we're going to see in a a couple minutes here why the disciples didn't do it. But I want to make the point that Jesus saw the need. We are living in in a world with a lot of needs. And what you are seeing, some some of those needs I'm seeing too, but some of those needs I'm not seeing. There may be some needs in your family or in your neighborhood or with some of the kids you go to school with or some of the people that you work with. These are the needs that as the body of Christ having an opportunity to be both light and love, we can see these needs and based upon what we see in John 13 and Philippians 2, we are called to humble ourselves to consider the needs of others and look after them. Now, I know we live in a world where it's more like every, every person for themselves, right? Everyone for themselves. Or maybe you've heard the, the, uh, the saying, not my circus, not my monkey. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever said that? No, no don't answer that question. What, what, what does that mean? If you say, not my circus, not my monkey, you're saying, not my problem. That's, a, that's yours. That's your problem. That's your issue. That's not mine. Well, when we look at John 13 and Philippians 2, we realize that, that what the needs are around us really become a responsibility for us as well. Jesus saw a need, and he met a need. And that's, again, 
the example for us. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. He has this encounter with, uh, with Peter. They have this, this, uh, this dialogue that is really interesting. Verse 6. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? That's quite a question, isn't it? Peter understood the social mores of the day. He understood that it would not be typical for the rabbi to be washing the feet of the disciples. And that's why he asked the question, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now. But afterward, you will understand. See, Jesus is teaching through this action. He's he's teaching uh, through this activity. And they one day will get it, but not yet. Just look at Peter's answer in verse 8. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Sounds like Peter, doesn't it? And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. So Simon has another answer, doesn't he? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. So he goes from one extreme to the other, doesn't he? One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. So Jesus understands what is taking place among the disciples. He understands Peter's situation. But Jesus is emphasizing their need to be washed. Because Jesus was doing more than just demonstrating his humility, demonstrating his love. He was washing their feet with water. But the next day, he would go to the cross, and he would give his life as a substitute for theirs. They would be literally washed. They would be spiritually washed. This day with water, the next day by his blood. They would find healing. They would find healing at the cross. And so that's why Jesus is emphasizing, you will be washed. You will understand it. You'll understand it later. But it's because that he would serve as the payment for their sins. He would wash them. And they would need to receive what he would give to them. And so Peter needed to humble himself and receive the washing of his feet. But he would also have to humble himself. And receive the forgiveness of sins. The washing that God would give to him through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now did Peter understand these words? We know that he did. In fact, later he would write in the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. He said, for you were called to this. Because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example. So that you should follow in his footsteps. Follow in his steps. Peter got it. He got it. He put it all together and saw Jesus was doing what he was doing in the upper room to communicate a message to us as his disciples. And now Peter understands it and he's telling us to do the same. That we are to to recognize that Christ has given us an example and that we should follow him. So we've seen that a servant's motivation is love. A servant's example is found in Christ. And finally, number three, a servant's call is a life of service. This is 
in Christ's kingdom what we are called to do. We are called to serve. Now, here we are in John 13, the cross of Christ is only a few hours away. And the disciples are talking amongst themselves. In fact, they're not only talking, they actually got into an argument. There is another gospel writer that's given us some insight into what else was being discussed on that Thursday night. And Luke tells us in chapter 22 about a dispute. And can you imagine what that dispute might be about? Look, look at verse 24. Then a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. But he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who have authority over them have themselves called benefactors. It is not to be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever is greatest among you should become like the youngest. Remember, the one who would have been washing the feet would have been the youngest child. And now Jesus is turning things completely upside down on who they would view as the greatest and doing the greatest role. He concludes by saying, whoever leads like the one serving. So just as it was in the, the Jewish society or the Roman society of that time, in which they elevated those who were the rulers, and they, and they put down those who were the servants, Jesus is turning that model on end and saying, no, in my kingdom, the greatest are the ones who are serving. And you know, have things really changed that much in the world we live in? Don't we see those same propensities of people wanting to, to elevate greatness by those who give orders, by those who, who, who call the shots, but not necessarily those who are willing to roll up their sleeves, not, not, not willing to see the needs of those around them? Because Jesus was seeing the need, but the disciples were doing what? They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. They just had it all wrong. And so Jesus had a word of instruction, a word that at times we need as well, to be reminded that, that in Christ's kingdom we are called to serve. And we are called to find and see the needs of others. They were looking for a throne. They were not looking for the towel. But God issued a call. Let's pick back up in verse 12. As we work our way through this text, we see it says in verse 12, When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So, in this upper room discourse, Jesus comes to give them some training, some equipping. And he says, he takes on two titles. Did you see what those were? He is both the Lord and the teacher. And so as the Lord, he's in charge. He's giving them a command, right? As a, as a teacher, he is giving them an assignment. 
And he is saying, this is what you are to do. And he's really saying that, that the love that is being demonstrated is, is, that is being demonstrated is much more than words. It leads to action. And he's saying to them, do as I have done. Now, I know that we would look at that and say, well, does that mean that we need to all stop and wash each other's feet? And I know some would protest and say, wait a minute, this is COVID, right? Nice try. Yeah, we'd like to use that as an excuse. No, we're not going to wash each other's feet today. But we are going to look for needs. And I would ask for you just to take a minute. That's what Jesus did. He saw there was a need. I don't think it was a mandate that we have to wash each other's feet. I think it was a mandate that we are to love one another actively by recognizing and responding to the needs of those around us. And so when someone is in a need, we see it, we meet it. We follow the John 13 example by serving and loving those around us. In fact, it's something that's so important to us as a church family. We not only use it as one of the three words, worship, grow, and serve, We've also included it in our church covenant. What that means is that when, when we came together, where when someone comes to the church and says, I want to be a covenant member, they are agreeing to, to these things. They're saying, I'm, I'm in agreement not only with, with, with your statement of faith and doctrine, I'm in agreement that this is what church is about and that I'm a, I'm a participant, I'm a contributor. And the third section of our church covenant says this, I will serve the ministry of my church in these ways, by discovering my gifts and talents, by being equipped to serve, by developing a servant's heart. And we see that servant's heart right there in John 13. We see the idea of understanding what needs are. And we could, we could take time today and read about spiritual gifts and look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and see that, that everyone's given a gift. Some of these gifts are speaking gifts. Some of them are serving gifts. We could look at Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12 and see that we are a body made up of people that have different spiritual gifts. And when we come together, we complement one another with our gifts. You can just think of all the things that happen on a Sunday and all the different people that are contributing to serving or even throughout the week in various ways, serving the body, serving the community. In fact, I know I said it last week, but I'll say it again. That's the strength of the Fellowship of Wildwood. It's the body serving one another and serving the community and serving the Lord. Let me, let me try to give some examples. We have a, a, a model that we use here called the serve model. I'm sure many of you have seen this before. Um, two weeks in a row where I've given you these big circles to try, to try to look at. I apologize for that. But I think sometimes pictures are helpful. And we, we have a model where, where we utilize our church staff but the church staff in, in no way are, are able to do the work of the ministry. We saw last week in Ephesians chapter 4 that church leaders are to equip the body for the work of the ministry. And so together we're able to fulfill God's call. We each have our role. We each have, have our, our opportunities for service. And, uh, and we use a chart like this to remind us that, yes, we might have a staff member serving in a role, but the staff member is really called to equip. And so you could look at that, and if you want to take one of these pieces of pie and say, okay, one of those is Russ Ewing. He's our executive pastor. Well, he's responsible for missions ministry, and he's responsible for, for, for finance and facility and, and personnel and all kinds of things that have to do with administration. Well, 
we've talked about mission opportunities. And we have a mission team that he works with to discover mission opportunities here in St. Louis, in our state, abroad. And when we have our missions emphasis night, when the M&M's choir comes to sing, we're going to be hearing about these opportunities that the mission team has been discovering and, and leading us towards. And that's just one example. That's one of those groups of people. He also has a finance team that he works with. You may have seen the church budget for the year 2021. There's a team of people that are skilled with, 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 uh, with ability to, to steward finances and to make sure that we are, are being faithful stewards, managers of, of, of God's resources. And so you, you see that handout, and again, it's the work of a team. And we could go to another, another piece and say, okay, well, one of these staff members is Stephanie, and Stephanie leads our connections ministry, and she leads our women's ministry, and she has a, a group of people that, that help uh, when, when someone visits the church for the first time or watches online. We have people lined up to connect them to the church, that we can connect with them all the way to the point where at some point they may be serving in one of the needs of the body as well that they get fully engaged into the church. Or maybe you could see one of her teams is with women's ministry. You have the Bible studies for joy on Tuesdays or other uh, ministries, retreats, and so forth. There's a group of people that, that are on a serve team that put all of that together. And so each of these cases, I could talk about any of our staff members, and there's even opportunities beyond those serve teams. We think about, about kids' ministry and student ministry. I even said last week that we've had to make so many adjustments that, that uh, because of COVID and restrictions and different parameters that people have had to get very creative in kids' ministry and in student ministry. They've had to change schedules and opportunities so that, that ministry can continue. And so I just am grateful to be in a church where people are willing to serve they're willing to be generous with their time and their resources because, again, that's the strength of the body. The, the, the success and the, the vibrancy of the church is not about a pastor or, or staff members. It's about the body of Christ being on mission together, united together, serving one another, serving the community. We'll see it again this afternoon. Operation Christmas Child boxes being being packed. You saw pictures of, of last week. It was, it was Thanksgiving boxes for Circle of Concern. Did you see the picture that was in the announcement video earlier? How many people were there putting all those boxes together? I mean, too many to even count. I mean, it was like an assembly line of people serving together, demonstrating the light and the love of Jesus Christ. And so as we have this, this thought today about the word serve, I just want to say thank you I want to encourage you. I know that, that this has been a year where maybe some of you, uh, the ministries that you've been a part of have not been as, as vibrant or as active because of restrictions. Maybe this is a time to pivot. Many of us have had to do that this year. Um, we've had to pivot where we used to serve in this capacity, and now it's this. Where it used to be service maybe in a, in a church ministry, maybe it's something in the community or in your neighborhood. I've heard of, of a number of members who have, have even tried to, to reach out to neighbors and provide opportunities to meet needs there. So, in summary, let me give these three vision words. Worship, grow, and serve. They help us understand uh, why we come together. They also communicate our identity. We, in Christ, are worshipers. We, in Christ, are growing disciples. We, in Christ, are servants. 
And so I pray that as we, as we consider these words, that, uh, that we can see the opportunities that connect with them, whether it be coming to a worship service, being a part of a small group, finding a ministry to serve in, that we are, that we are actively engaged in the type of, of ministry that Christ has called us to and set the example for. But before I close, I want to give you one other thing. Because next week, I'm going to give you a fourth word. Yes, that's right. We've had worship, grow, and serve on all of our bulletins and our website, and we've had our announcement video. But next week, there's going to be one more word. Worship, grow, serve, and you got to come back. You just have to come back next week. I, I was telling, I was telling uh, the early service, I can remember when I was a kid, you know, TV was done so, so much uh, in, in such a different way when I was a kid. I mean, I'd, I'd, I, I couldn't wait to watch the Dukes of Hazard on Friday nights. And, and, and the, 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 the Duke boys would be going over the bridge, and I, I don't know, are they going to get caught by Roscoe? Are they going to crash the general? And what does it say at the bottom? To be continued. Yeah. Now, I know today my kids would just go, oh, let's just click to the next one. Let's see what happened. We didn't get to do that, did we? Well, neither do you. you got to wait a week. Worship, grow, serve, and we got one more word. One more word that's going to be introduced in 2020. Right here for our church family to focus on, for us to rally around, for us to use for vision, for strategic purposes. And so I encourage you to please come back. I, I've had people guess the, try to guess the word. I've had some text messages from early service of people, people uh, uh, talking about it. But I'm not going to give it to you early. You've got to wait till next week. But there's one more verse we've got to read, and then we'll close. I'm about out of time here. John 13, verse 17. If you know these things, you are blessed. If you do what? If you do them. And how many times do we seek a blessing from the Lord? How many times do we pray that, that we could even be a, a blessing for someone else? And right here in John 13, Jesus is telling you and me how we can be blessed. How can we be blessed? By following his example. By seeing the needs around us and doing something. Serving. It may not be perfect. We may not get it right every time. But to, to take that humble posture and to say in Christ's kingdom, in Christ's kingdom, the greatest are the servants. In Christ's kingdom, we see needs. And we seek to meet them the best we can. In Christ's kingdom, we follow his example to serve others. So was Dave Thomas right? His success found in service? I think so. But I don't think it was original with him. Let's take some time right now. Let's pray. Let's pray that God would do a work within us as a church. That he would give us opportunities in the, in the, in the world that is around us. And maybe even as we pray... There might even be some faces that come to mind. Would you bow with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. And I just want to thank you for your love. I'm still just struck by reading how you loved the disciples to the end. Jesus, I know you're going to love us to the very end too. Because that's the kind of Savior you are. That's the kind of Lord you are. You've not asked us to do anything that you have not done yourself. In fact, you've done it in a much more comprehensive and greater way than we could ever do. 
But God, can we follow today in your steps? Can we see needs that are around us in our community today? Or maybe in our home? God, would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us that servant's heart? That loving disposition to be willing to consider the needs of others? Lord, I pray this for for boys and girls that are with us. Lord, may may they set that example among their friends. They set, set that example in their, in their schools. Father, may this take place in our church and in the workplace. May we as your people be sent out and dispatched to follow your mandate today to love others, to serve others as you have served and as you have loved. We pray this in Christ's name. And all of God's people said, Amen.